Welcome back to another episode of, of the Unbreakable Me podcast, where rock bottom has built more heroes than privilege ever could. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Nick. Nick is the owner of Oki Strength Conditioning and runs an incredibly successful business in Sydney. But Nick has a story unlike many others. You can't get to the top without first understanding what the bottom feels like. Nick lost his mum at age five, suffered from a gambling and drug addiction, and in his early 20s went on to spend four years and three months in jail for a large commercial supply of drugs. Nick did, however, turn his life around in prison. He used his time behind bars as motivation rather than destruction. This is Nick's story. Nick, hey, how are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story today. I'm really excited and nervous, as I said before, to be interviewing <laughs> you. Um, so I'd like to just start back at the start just a little bit, just so the listeners can get an understanding of just like your childhood and some things that may have happened early on in your life that may have led to some of these things later in life. So would you like to just tell me a little bit about sort of your experiences from say age two to about age 10 like what happened in those early years for you yeah so um I guess as they say like with you know your childhood it makes up a lot of who you are as an adult um especially as you grow up um for me I'd say at age two um not that I really was aware of it much of the time but my parents quickly died I had me diagnosed with a thyroid condition called hope I say this correctly, but it's uh, called pseudo-hypoparathyroidism. That was pretty good, okay. actually. Um, yeah. Which is a condition that basically um, your body doesn't produce quite enough um, T3, T4 of, uh, of, of uh, hormones that are responsible for um, a lot to do with how you grow um, physically, uh, as well as yeah. lots of things to do with um, just your body composition overall so yeah. there's a lot more to it um that's why i saw a specialist i wasn't exactly a specialist on it and it wasn't really yep. until later in life that i learned about it to realize how much it could have affected me but um yeah i guess that was kind of where things for me really started um that, that took a mold later on in life um thankfully due to having quite a healthy you know uh, quite healthy parents and health conscious parents and getting yep. that diagnosed quite early it was probably the best thing that could happen as um, yep. a lot of kids that are left later diagnosed with that can suffer uh, a lot more health complications complications like you know uh, very early onset diabetes obesity dwarfism and things like wow. that so I was very fortunate yeah so I was very fortunate enough to be diagnosed very early as a very good specialist um, Every year, I did have to have quite a few at a, at a young age. Spent quite a few like times in hospital with quite um, you know tests that you know weren't typical for a kid of that age to have. So they've really yeah. been good, good with our hospital since. Um, <laughs> but I guess the next time thing was um, at around the age I, I was about I had just turned uh, five um, yeah. when my mum suddenly died. Um, okay, which was. Um, I guess one of those moments that at the, at the age of five is um, not something that you really can even, oh, you just can't even really understand it at that point in time. It's okay. not something for me that really made a lot of sense until you start to grow up and realise all the things that a mum does for a kid when you see with, with friends and and um, 
just the valuable role that they play in life. And um, yeah, I think at the age of five, was her was probably one of the hardest moments of my life, or one of the ones that I probably wasn't really aware of. Like I, I found it a lot harder yep. as I got older than when I was that age because you just don't quite understand it. Um, so I've quite comprehend. Yeah, can't quite comprehend. Um, like I can remember it quite vividly, which is, um, I guess one of the biggest wheat things that I've always had to really struggle with was that I don't remember a lot about her. Um, I don't remember, you know, much about her as a person. And as yeah. they say, with a lot of trauma, uh, it, trauma tends to stick with you. And yeah. one of the major moments that I do remember actually the day that she did die. And although it's a very harsh and graphic memory, it's still in a kind of strange way gives me a piece of her that she existed, that I did know who she was um, and that I did love her because, you know, to know how much the loss hurts definitely makes you realise when you love something, you know, because if it really hurts to lose, then you can really understand how much that the love meant. It meant. Um, But that was a, that was a really big struggle. Um, Like we, I had three other siblings. So I had an older sister, two younger siblings, a brother and a sister. Um, and, um, of course my father as well, which was, which was a huge struggle for him, you know, like, uh, again, not something until later in life, I realized that. Yeah. And you can also kind of understand from my father's perspective, like we lost a mother, but he lost a wife. And I think growing up, you, you know, his life had to completely kind of go from, I don't have time to grieve. I've got four kids to look after. Um, yeah. But at the same time, that's a very, very big job. And uh, yeah. as kids, then we really learn how to grow up very quickly. So before we knew it, I think, God, it would have been by the age of 10, like I knew how to do washing, hang washing up, like by my sisters, you know, have a bath, walk them to, you know, school. To school. You know, like all the things that a kid really just kind of thinks like happens, you know. Yeah. Um, we were a lot of. And I think that's something I say today. Like it's, you know, like being an adult is doing all of those things as a kid. You don't even think how it happened. You know, like as no, a kid, I guess, you put a plate in you, you, know, you put a plate in the sink and suddenly it's clean and suddenly it's back in front of you. And that's it's... great. Where I think <laughs> yeah, exactly. as a kid, you're like, no, we know these processes. We have to we have to do all this stuff ourselves because dad's got to work. If we want to live in a home, if we want to have things for school, then we need to we need to grow up fast. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, although there's parts of that that I'm very grateful for today because it did teach me how to be an adult. It also does rob you in a sense of those early childhood years where you're kind of trying to just develop and work out who you are in in a sense of how to have fun, what things you enjoy to do, making friends, fitting in with, you know, with hobbies and and things like that. And I wouldn't say it's not that any of that happened, but it definitely felt quite rushed. Um, Yeah, definitely. As a kid, it felt very out of place. You know, like I wouldn't say I was picked on for not having a mum, but you're definitely kind of – you feel different, you know, you, you go to a friend's house and it's a different environment. Um, and it's very yeah. different when it's like, you know, who, like, for example, who, who, who packs your lunchbox? And it's like, I do. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My brother, why are you packing your lunchbox? Like you're like 10 years old. <laughs> and it's like, well, Don't have you know, have this is the situation. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you do, you do. Awkward conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it was, it was, it was those years that I think, you know, growing up really quite quickly dealing with quite a lot of trauma that I didn't quite understand. Uh, yep. I just, I guess, as I got into my early teenage years, knew you, you find out more, you start to, you start to see people with their mums, you start to see the relationships built. Um, and even with my siblings, like seeing the lack of a motherly relationship with my sisters and then seeing how close some other girls are with their mothers, I could also start to see like, wow, what an impact like that has having. on my sisters as well. And like, it starts to really show you um, just how much is missing. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's when it really started for me where I developed quite a aggressive mindset towards towards the world like I mean on top of that I was quite uh heavily bullied through primary school and the early age in the early years of high school uh, and was there a reason for that Nick oh okay yep yeah yeah I mean I think it was more it was for being overweight and look part of it would have to do with the fact that I did have a thyroid condition that was uh in a sense slowing me down and putting me years behind like I was I was actually you know quite I was quite short. Um, I was, yep. you know, quite chunky. Um, it definitely fit the general, you know, the general kind of consensus for what a kid at 14 should look like, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I guess... Now they look like 21-year-olds. Hey? Now they look like 21-year-olds. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. So it was... Um, <laughs> Yeah, God, it would have been the interesting thing today. Um, but uh, I guess it was also a bit of to do with self-conflicted. I think I was definitely someone that in those early years I would hide a lot, I would isolate a lot, um, and I would emotionally eat. I didn't actually even know what that was at that point. Yeah. I just knew that I, I had comfort in the fact of like, probably what I know now is like high anxiety and, and high stress that I liked to hide and, 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 and eat and kind of just, that was my comfort. I didn't have a lot of friends. So I didn't really feel comfortable. And that was, I guess, kind of where the, where, where bullying really peaked me through, through those years. Cause I used to kind of be in that mindset where I'd blame it on the condition, but also be responsible for, the downfalls yeah. of it, like I'd use it as an excuse to then behave that way, uh, yeah. which did me no favours. Um, it really did me no favours. And um, it was, yeah, they, I would say they were some of the harder years of my life because you, you, um, I think in that those years of high school, those early years of high school is where you do really build your basis of self-esteem, confidence, um, and starting to work out, you know, things like self-respect and how you take yep. care of yourself. Like you start to develop those skills of, I mean, I can see it in my nephews now. It's, it's completely different. It's yep. quite funny. A bit off topic, but my nephew now who's 14 is messaging me on Instagram like every <laughs> week on like how much protein you should consume and if I can write him a gym program. So it, it's, Bless him. You can see that it's 
you know, where that stuff starts. Yeah. Where for me, completely different. It didn't happen then. And do you think that comes down to the fact that you lost your mum early? So like that early childhood trauma that sort of led you to sort of, and, and also your condition that you sort of lent on the condition, became a bit more of a like recluse. You felt isolated from like your peers because your home situation was different to theirs. Like, do you think that all had like a big impact on like on on those years, like, and why you sort of went down that path at, in high school? Yeah, absolutely. And then I think it's also down to there's 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 the undealt grief. So there's the very yeah. kind of like there's the feel sorry for me. There's the I hate the world. Why did this happen to mm-hmm. me? There's the missing links, which also lead to the the, the, the being upset. Um in all those emotions but then there's also the lack of home dynamic where yes it's quite symbolic it's very you know like our dad was he did his best you know like he worked countless businesses he he tried to do absolutely everything he could like we he tried to take us on holidays he in my opinion dedicated most of the life that he had to making sure that we could try to live like normal kids. Yeah, and, and you say how? I wouldn't say he did the best. You know, like yeah. I would definitely you know, like, but yeah, like what parent does. But I think there's obvious in in trying to really make up for the financial side of it for us. There was definitely lackings in you know showing love, in showing compassion, in being empathetic towards us as children. We were kind of like, no, like dad needs help, like snap into action, yeah. pull your way, you know, or get out. Like, you know, it was very, yeah. So there wasn't a lot of like from that end, you know, kind of like a father that would be there to be like, you know, mate, you know, this is not how you need to do things. This is, you know, yeah. there was a lot of, there was a lack of role and there was a lack yeah. of, um, I guess, look, having a role model, you know, like my dad wasn't yeah. really my role model because my dad was busy doing everything else. My dad just worked. Yeah. 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 So my, and that's my probably how he dealt. Like, really. and sorry, that's probably how he dealt with his grief, like with losing your mum. You know, by just burying himself in like work, 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 work. Yeah, and I think for him too, it came down to a lot of pressure. Like we had obviously yeah. like relatives, other friends, family that were obviously thinking, "How's this guy going to rain forward kids? You know, how he's going to yeah. raise? How's he going to do this?" And at any little mistake, who's going to be there to ridicule him? So yeah. I think he took that upon himself to he put so much pressure on himself that like we all do at times when there's too much pressure, we, you know, we kind of, we kind of snap and it's not generally yep. the, you know, for the right reasons. It's just that there's so yep. much pressure being placed on us. So I think yeah. it was, yeah, it was a combination definitely of, of, of losing a mum, but then also um, lacking a father figure, you know, I, I think when yeah. you lose one, um, you're going to lose part of the other. Because yeah, that's I mean, they've kind of lost part of themselves, right? It's that, yeah, yeah, you know. So they're dealing with it too, and you don't see that as a kid, yeah, and, you know. And um, no, because they're just trying to hold it together for you. Yeah, and I think that's where I started to really lean into quite a, tear, a caretaker role um, within my childhood through high school, where I was like, look, as long as I, as long as I help dad as much as I can, as long as I really try to you know, do as much as I can for my family, then there'll be less turmoil. There'll be less stress. There'll be less anxiety because he won't be so, you know, upset. 
So you start to yeah. fall into that people pleasing, you know, like I just want to please and, and make people be okay with me so I can feel okay with me because I just don't want to feel the stress of being different or anxious or just excluded in some way, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, Do you yeah, think Nick, so- that that's where then when you graduated high school, you decided to start your business? Cause I believe that you started a business in a cafe, I believe. Is that, was that to try and take yeah. some of that financial pressure off your dad, raising your like the siblings? Like what, how did you go from graduating then and all that, that uh, turmoil in high school to, to that situation? Yeah, I think that would have a big, I, I think there was one thing I always wanted to do in is that was to impress my father um, and yeah. to, and to try to pull the weight, you know, I wanted to try to do something that was going to be successful, that was going to like take pressure off, that would provide for my, my, my siblings, give them another safe place to go to. Um, and I, and what I thought at the time was try to find a bit of identity for myself, like through, yeah. um, my HSC, which, you know, it's like from a lot of, people prior to me in in my family a lot of my cousins and siblings and and um just general people in our family had not done their year 12 and I don't even think I wanted to do year 12 I just did it because I was like no I'm going to go that extra mile I'm going to be I'm going to get my HSC I'm going to get a successful job and I'm going to you know I want to I want to be you know the top of the top of the line um and then yeah that's why you know I, I um I opened that business because I was like, I'd always grown up a bit ahead of ahead of the game with yeah. taking responsibility. So I was like, that's a wood. Like, I can handle opening a business. It's fine. And it is. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot. It's so much harder. <laughs> like you think, you know, you, you know, yeah, you know, and that's what I think. Yeah. Like, I think like, yeah, no, I know how to cook for my siblings. I know how to put a dishwasher on. I know how to, Fold back and washing. I like that, you know. So the ambition was there, but um, it's it's there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of moving parts, and it's a lot for a guy of that age. Like I was 18, fresh out of high school, trying to run a pizzeria based cafe. Yeah. Um, and very quickly realizing that although I was good at elements of it, like I always enjoyed cooking, I was quite good at it. Um, I feel like I had kind of started to identify myself in that regard. Like, like I'm going to be a chef. I, I like hospitality. And yeah, I, I I think then putting that in with the business dynamic is what really set it like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm way too immature for this. You know, Yeah, because there's, the, there's the ordering and the books and the accounts and the stuff and the rent and oh. the, all the stuff outside of making the pizzas, you know. That might have been your love, but then there's all these other bits that people don't see behind running a business. It looks fun here, no. but back here it's like hectic. <laughs> yeah, and that's the part where it's like I'm, I'm too young for this and very quickly started to see things decline where, for one, I had no social life. So if you're an 18-year-old kid who had always struggled socially, I would see myself start to develop a bit socially but then have to restrict it because I was like, I've got a business to run. So it was always yeah. very, I think the, the, the big thing I have with that part of my life was it was always very serious. There was no real mucking around or like space to make great mistakes through those years for me. I always felt like yeah. everything I did, I had a gun to 
Yeah. And I had a lot of pressure. And even to open the business, I'd borrowed money off my father. And knowing how hard he had worked, I was like, I, I can't fuck this up. Like, there's not yeah. like a, oh, everybody makes mistakes. There's like, no, there's zero mistakes. And yeah. that placed a lot of pressure on me to perform. And then I think having a very small circle, if any circle, to kind of turn to, to be like, hey, I'm in trouble here. You know, like I'm, yeah. I'm not surviving. I'm not doing well. I don't know who to ask for help. And was it and, financially um, that the business was struggling, Nick, or was it you personally struggling with the situation? I, I think it was a combination definitely of both. I think what happened yeah. first was that I first off thought the business was doing very well and I was like, wow, this mm-hmm. is killing it. Like, you know, I'm pulling in like five grand a month and then like you kind of work out the difference between gross and net. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's when you're trying to go, I'm working oh, like shit. seven hours a week and I'm making a thing. Yeah. And then like I can't actually go out with my friends on the weekend. So yeah. I started to neglect part of business. You know, I started to do silly yeah. things where I'd be like, well, I'm not going to pay that invoice. I'm going to go out, with, you know, with, with mates. Um, or I'd have, um, and I guess that's where stuff started to turn quite bad for me where it was like, I'd have bad weeks where I'd go, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go and gamble some of the money from the business, and I'm gonna try and win it back, so I can yeah, okay. make it survive the week because I'm I can't go to my dad and say, hey, I need five grand to cover staff this week, or you know, anyone. I just didn't have anyone to turn to, and yeah. um, I also felt like I had to hide the fact that I had to keep I had to keep my dad's hope alive for me that like I was doing okay. Because yeah. for what he was doing, I don't think he could quite handle, and it's not that I know this, but I just don't think he could quite handle seeing that I was now becoming a problem. You know, like yeah, I, okay. I thought at that point, I'm going to become another problem for my dad. Like my business is failing. He's put money into it. Now I'm not making money and now it's a stress for him. And um, Do you think oh, that if you reached out then and talked to him? that it might have changed, like that he might have been able to, like I know you see it like that and that you think that's how he would have seen it, that you were failing and that you were a problem. But do you think now reflecting back, if you had sat down with your dad and said, I'm I'm struggling and it's not doing as well as I can, you know, like maybe not financially help, but can you, like is there some advice? Is there, like do you think that might have been, now looking back, that that would have, like you could have done that and it would have been okay? Um, that's a great question. Um, Get you thinking, Nick. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, look, I, um, yeah, I I, I think now, and and this is a a, a lesson I learned later in life is that honesty, being, being absolutely honest, being it good or bad, or like having the result of your honesty be good or bad, creating judgment, um, or whatever it is, being yeah. honest is just the best thing you can do because as this story goes on, it's the part about being dishonest that creates so much more havoc. Yeah, so yeah. looking back now, then I think, yeah, if I had turned around and honestly just said like, hey, I'm fucking up here, I think I have a gambling problem, I I'm feeling so much pressure and I just don't want to let you down. Um, yeah. 
I, I think my dad definitely had enough compassion and and experience to go then like I don't know if it would have been in a very loving way, <laughs> but yeah. it would have been probably quite a, a, at least a supporting way where it's like, okay, yeah. well, this is what we need to do. We need to sit down. We need to do this and you need to cut this shit out. And yeah. I think if I do think about it and, you know, it's wishful thinking, but I think if I did do that, then um, I could have avoided a lot of havoc in my life yeah. for sure. Um, so talking about the habit, Nick, this is this is where the obviously your gambling addiction came into play because you were trying to obviously help pay the bills. Is this where um, a small level of like dealing certain drugs came into the play and and using certain drugs? So like like is that how all this sort of yeah. started to connect a little bit? Yeah, that's where it all, it really started to crumble. I, I would say after about a year of having the business, I was, um, I just, um, I, I think I'd always, I started to surround myself with people uh, and, and, and groups of people who I, I see now that were kind of just different versions of damaged to what I was. Yeah. You know, there were other yeah. kids that were from similar broken homes and, and things like that that were getting mixed into the wrong things to try to, survive try to be cool um sometimes truly used to try to make money um like you know blinded by greed and things like that and i think i was surrounded yeah. by people like that because that's the group i fitted into and yes yeah. very quickly being involved in that i saw um and there's no denying it that it is it's opportunity i saw opportunity mm-hmm. um i wasn't I don't think at the time conscious at all of any consequences to it. Yeah. I just thought, okay, I'm with Drive. Um, I can, you know, I can sell, you know, a few pound a pot to yeah. this person. It goes from A to B. I make this much money, and, and I can pay this my fixes staff. This problem, yeah. And it's very, it's a very selfish thing, right? and that's you don't. That's the thing at the time. It's very selfish. You don't see the problems. You just see. This is how it fixes a solution for me. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that's that's where that all kind of kicked off. And I guess like most things, when it's kind of easy, um, it, it's not really hard work and it pays well, you know, like, yeah. I mean, if you think about that not being selling drugs but being any other business, that's everybody's dream yeah. job, right? pays good money, yeah. you don't have to do that, yeah. you know, and hey, yeah. you just got to put something from A to B. If everyone can have yeah, that, that's right. you know, that's, that's a sounds like a dream drop, right? Um, it does, exactly. And like you said, it solved a problem for you. You do, you sort of went, well, I need to pay my staff or I need to pay this invoice. Like if I do this, like you say, it goes from A to B and I make this much, I can pay my staff. I can keep my doors open for another day. Like it might sound selfish to someone that doesn't understand that, that's never been in that position, has always had mum or dad to be able to hand out and fix the problem for them all the time. But when you find yourself in that position and you've got to try and dig yourself out of a hole yourself, sometimes you do the, like things that maybe you're not proud of later, but it, it, it seemed to fix a problem at the time, you know? And I don't think there's any shame in that, like, yeah. at all. And that, that's the, that's the, the great the great word for it as things later on I realise is that the biggest the biggest factor that contributed to all of that and starting that kind of behaviour was being 
so scared and so embarrassed um, and and feeling very guilty um, about my own shame, about yeah. that I was not doing what I said I was going to do, that my business was failing, that I was hiding gambling, that as much as like some of the friends I did have and things like that were against drugs and using drugs and the effects of drugs I was doing all of these things and, and I felt just an immense amount of like, fuck, I'm a shit human being. And I don't know who to share yeah. this with. Yeah. Like, who can I go and tell that to? Do you know, who can <laughs> I go and tell that <laughs> who to? Who can I talk to about this? Yeah. And I think even as an 18 year old kid, you're kind of like, just what, like, I think there's a very big confusion with even being able to identify those feelings for what they are. Like, you're yeah. 18, you're thinking like, why do, Why am I feeling depressed? Why am I feeling shit? Like, what is, how do you find the root cause of that? I think takes a certain level of maturity. So I think at yeah, the time definitely. for me, I didn't have that level of, I was just like, I fucking hate the world. I don't care. I need to do this to do this. And yep. I will do everything I can to escape the feelings in myself that I do not understand. Yeah. And that's I look, I completely... I completely identify with that because as like, as you know, and as like other people listen to this podcast, know like I was an addict and I was running from my own trauma as well. You know, like my dad committed suicide and I ran from that. Like I buried myself in drugs for two years and, and that's all I was yeah. doing. I was just hiding from something that I didn't, I didn't want to have to deal with and that it was just like all too hard, you know? So I really, I think that, that, finding yourself in that situation is, is like it's easy to fall into when you've got all of that, like those emotions going on that you haven't dealt with. I do have a question though, Nick, just out of curiosity because I've, I've had like a drug addiction. However, I've never suffered from a gambling addiction. And obviously you've had experience with both in your life. What did you find harder to overcome? Did you find gambling addiction harder to overcome or drug addiction? Um. Oh. I would. The, the thing, so th the thing with it is, it really went hand in hand. Yeah, like, I was going to say that. One went with the other, you know, like one went, yep. one went with the other. They, they, they were like, it was, it was like, um, you know, like it's like when you see someone that's trying to quit smoking, the second they have a beer, they got a cigarette. It's yeah, one of those yep. things for me that was, yeah, it was hand in hand. Where it was like, if. Um, it was quite a strange behaviour, um, but it's something I've seen now as an adult. You see it in, in, in other – I've seen it in other people, but it was like if I'm going you know, to – I'm going to go and gamble and to lose the consciousness of what I was doing gambling, knowing that I could not afford it, if I got high enough, I didn't feel that anymore. Even if I care. So I would then gamble. I would get high. <laughs> on coke and gamble yeah. and that was my way of complete escape and i didn't want to do it with friends i didn't want to do it with anybody i would go to certain yeah. pubs that i knew were like out of area i would go to places that i kind of knew to a degree that i wouldn't see anybody that i knew okay and so you're drug addiction and what i was yeah, you're, so you were more like of a recluse with your drugs and gambling, whereas I was the opposite. Like I was very yeah. uh, out and about in a sense. 
Yeah, no, I was definitely quite a definitely quite a recluse. Like I know my okay. first few um probably like anyone that's experimented with cocaine is that the first couple of times I took it, I was like, I am the man and yes. um I feel great. <laughs> yeah. And um not to condone it, but it just is the first no. couple of times. It's like, you know, that's why it's addictive because then what you're always chasing. Yeah, chasing yeah, that high, exactly. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the first couple of times, it's great. I was like, you know, like, let's go out, let's go party, you know, and all of that. And very quickly I'd find I'd start to do that and I'd go out and I'd, I'd, I'd get high and then I'd find myself trying to recluse and go into the pokey room and just hide from everyone. And yeah. just I just want an escape. I think for me what it gave me was a very unconscious state of what I was looking for was peace. I was looking for something that was not yeah. turmoilic, something that was not dramatic, something that was not anything like that. It was just like a place where I could go and sit, I could zone the fuck out, and I wouldn't even think yeah. about the money I was losing. I wouldn't even think about the money I was winning um, until I started to lose more money than what I had, and that's when it became... Yeah. A problem. Very toxic. And that's when I think through those, when that addiction first kind of kicked off, it was kind of like, oh, this is harmless. Like I sell these drugs, I make this much money, I pay these people, I've got this much left, I'll gamble it, have a few lines, it's fine, whatever. Yeah. And that very quickly turned into I owe people money, um, I am in debt, uh, I have used more cocaine than I can pay for. Yeah. And I think that's when it really started to be like, well, how do I solve this puzzle? And yeah. of course I looked for the easy way. And that's when things started to get uh, a lot more out of hand. And, and I had expanded, you know, to a point where I, you know, I would then call myself, I was no longer dibble dabbling in selling pot. I was, I was selling I was selling thousands of pills. I was selling ounces and, you know, yep. kilos of, of, of cocaine. And um, wow. that's what that really. And was that just to try and initially, yeah. like, pay for those those expenses? Like, I owe this person over here this much. I have no money coming in anymore. And so I need to sell that little bit more to now pay for that bit. Like, did it just slowly get to the point? Like, because you don't go from selling like a couple of pills yeah, to just kilos overnight. Yeah. yeah. Well, and did your business just, get shut yeah, down at some stage it. here? Um, no, it didn't get shut down. Not yet anyway. Um, okay. Basically, long story short, but that part of it was, I, I think I got to a point where I needed to, I had started to expand and I think with the expanding of selling drugs, I became a bit more known and, again, not really having a great sense of identity or, you know, um, just, I guess, having good integrity at the time yeah. um, or good morals. I found that the only way I could be popular was to be like, okay, well, I'm the bad guy. I'm a drug dealer, you know, and yeah. I think that's where it became a bit more about ego. So I would, I yeah, would still okay. have, you know, gambling. I would still have um, a drug, you know, problem where I would, I would need to have coke to go out to socialize. But then I yeah. also got off on being the guy that had it, you know, and being the guy yeah, that could okay. give it or that could take it, all that power element of it. And then when it became profitable, I was like, yeah. well, 
I don't, you know what, like I can have this business and I can have it there and do its thing and I can make enough yeah. money off drugs. I don't have to be there all the time now. Like, fuck that place. I can just do this and yeah. have that and I can go back and being social and I can actually go back to having a life and like, look at me, I've got all these friends now, you know. When yeah. To- That's funny how in that world the friends that you thought you had um, very quickly are not the friends that you thought you had, like when shit blows up, you know? Yeah, and I mean, and that's, I guess, talking about shit blowing up is yeah, that's, I, I very, very quickly realised that I, I, I still had very little friends. Yeah. Yeah, it's fu- it's funny, um, hey, like when you're the person that's got the, the the thing that people want, how they'll all gravitate towards you, but when the shit hits the fan, it they very quickly run away and hide. And on that note, yeah. Nick, do you want to let's let's actually move into that part of your life when shit hit the fan? So I think from from memory in in the timeline you sent me, it was around about October two thousand and nine, I think two thousand and nine, where it really like blew up. Do you want to just like talk me through what happened then and like what led to that moment? Yeah, so it's actually uh, twenty. You know, um, it's it's a it's a vivid memory for me. Um, yeah. It was actually the day before my sister's uh, 18th birthday, I believe. Oh, so 22nd no. of October, 2000. Yeah, so 22nd of October, 2009. Yeah. Um, yeah, it started, it started much like any other day, you know. Um, I did my normal routine um, and I was completely oblivious to – being in any kind of or ever even thinking I was going to be in any kind of trouble. Yeah. And um, I had a meeting scheduled with um, a, a, cold, a cold accused of mine, a, a, a um, um, COE as you would call them. Um, yep. And the meeting was to meet um, and uh, complete a, a sale of um, 10 ounces of cocaine. Wow. And um, I remember it quite vividly because I was sitting there, parked car, and we'd done the whole kind of like, I'm going to sit in this car and wait, you're going to go do that thing and bring me back the money and, and all of that, like, you know, typical yeah. dumb deal. And, um, <laughs> and then I remember distinctly saying, I was sitting in my car, um, I hadn't even have, I didn't even have my foot, I didn't even have the handbrake up, I had my foot on the brake, I was just sitting there waiting. And I distinctively remember two Mitsubishi Triton four-wheel drives and this yeah. is a back street in kind of like the middle of the Southern Shire. Like this is very odd for this area. It's a very quiet street. Yeah. And I remember seeing these Mitsubishi Outlanders. I have another car. Um, but they uh, were driving very close to each other, coming around the corner up towards my car. And I remember having the thought of like, hmm, you know, that's like weird. that's a bit odd. That's weird. Oh, no. And there's this, like, this pinnacle moment between like, are they speeding towards me or are they going to go past me? And that's just a weird coincidence. And it's right in that moment, right when you think they're about to pass, if you can get a visual of this, that right as I'm about to take that grip of like, oh, they're just driving past me, one swerves right in front of my car, one swerves right next to my car, and before you know it, there's – Shotgun pointed at my face. Oh, no, right. seriously. Guns at the window. There's, you know, cops 
basically screaming for me to place my hands on the steering wheel. And I'm thinking, my first instinct, honestly, was I didn't think it was actually police because they're unmarked. I thought I was getting robbed. Oh, okay. That's, I mean, yeah. um, you know, uh, talking, you know, some, you know, hundred and something thousand dollars worth of stuff, you know, and um, I thought I was getting robbed. And before you know it, I just, I caught on pretty quick, but I was, yeah, I, I don't. I don't even know how my car turned off to this day. I just know that before I knew it, the door was open. I'd been pulled out of the car, and I was cable tied, hands behind my back, oh my face God. down on the road. And um, very quickly, that I realised that um, was that Sale set up, or was that part of an investigation? Like, yeah. was this was that guy that you were doing the deal with, like an undercover cop or something? Uh, no, so the guy that so my co-accused. Um, he was doing a deal with an undercover cop. So the whole thing was, oh. was a, a sting. You could... ah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we're all caught up in it. Um, so uh, I won't go into detail about any of their information. That's their, that's their business. But no, no, that's um, fine. it's, yeah. So it was just my part of it was, yeah, the next thing I knew of my car was switched off and I was face down on the road. And um, then the news crew had rocked up. And that's when I kind of caught really? wind of like, yeah, I was like, okay, like there's a camera rocking up, um, you know, from a van to film. And I'm like. That's like I'm, a big setup. Um, like how did they yeah, even know to like, turn oh, up being, there? That's weird. It's, it kind of does have, it's kind of like, I, I, I usually believe that they are tipped off, that there's something, you know, yeah. there's something is going to happen. I don't know exactly how that works, but um it's it for me then it was just like complete shock was just like like oh fuck i'm being arrested and i think i know what for and like um i guess what I were you told to be charged with um, well, I didn't get told that till I was at the police station. My, the thoughts running through my head at first were, how much do they know? <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely. Guess that was the first thought, like, well, fuck, like, what is it just for this or what is it? And, um, going back to the police station, you know, being driven in the car, like I, I was just in complete shock and I didn't realize until I got back there and I saw everybody else that was kind of a part of the operation that I went yeah. Like, oh my God, like we are in this trouble. Is really bad. Yeah. Um and yeah, so I was um I was I was taken back to police station um and uh I refused to have a police interview. Um I didn't want to have a police interview. Uh I was advised legally not to have one. Um they yeah. did try to give me one where they actually uh, was more to do with just reading me my charges. Um and at the time, I had no, I had no idea what anything like that was was like. I didn't know how much trouble you got into for selling what or how many, how much quantity or whatever. I just didn't even think about it. And I think when I was first charged, I was charged with twenty-one total drug offences. Wow. Um, and What's related to that time, one sale? That like no, that one so ten-ounce sale was. So there was there was a series of sales that they had watched and been part of for um, okay. a six month period of that year. 
So I was charged with 21 offences of that period. And uh, I think what really shocked me the most um, was that when they read me the charges, I think out of the 21 charges, the four top charges all carried a mandatory, I didn't know this, I didn't know what this meant at the time, but it was a uh, mandatory non-parole period of 15 years with a maximum of Holy shit. in prison. Wow. And when you first hear that, like I... Can't fathom I, it. I, 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 I still can't even tell you what I thought at that point. I was just, I just was so kind of in complete shock that I'm like, I, I don't get how that start, how that much can get me in that much trouble. Like I, like that doesn't. Yeah. It just doesn't add. Does make sense. I was like, so. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. yeah it does. It I, just I does just, it. Like, I don't. Yeah, less for murder. Yeah, I, I couldn't make. Sense. Yeah, and I couldn't make sense because at the moment, at the time, you don't really know about things. Um, you know, like. Uh, Plea, plea bargains or things running concurrently or anything like that. You don't know anything about that. So I'm yeah. sitting there in this room with these two cops and I'm thinking in my head, like, so you're telling me I can do 45-plus years in jail for this? And um, It's just insane. Yeah, like, fuck. I, it's just... Um, do you think that was a fear tactic to get you to to say things or to talk to talk things or maybe answer questions before your legal counsel gets there yeah yeah there's definitely an element of that they they do want to scare you they want you to speak they obviously want you to inform um if you can uh but that wasn't on the table for me um Mm -hmm. i knew that much pretty straight away that yeah and the one thing that I do I do think about these days, even with it, is that I'm 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 going to be responsible for my problems, and yeah. I don't believe that bringing anyone else into it or ruining anyone else's position in their life and whatever they're doing, um, due to due to my my responsibility in it. Yeah, being whatever they're doing, being good or bad, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that to somebody else. Like that, it's just not part of my character. Um, no, and then I've also got a, I've also got a family to worry about, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. So I was very quickly, um, yeah, I was very quickly put back into a cell, um, and I was probably, you know, that was um, probably one of the the scariest nights I've had in my life. Um, I was basically told that I would go to court in the morning, um, where I would be formally refused bail because the charges that I had, um. I don't actually go to court. I'm based off the seriousness of the charges. I'm automatically refused, so I don't wow. have it. There's no option to even have. So, wow. Um, yeah, fuck down there. I think that's when it really hit me. I'm like, I'm I'm about to go to, I'm about to go to jail, and I, I have no idea how long for. Um, I don't know anything about jail, and. Um, a distinct moment I remember is once my uh, family had been informed, they actually, uh, particularly my younger brother and sister, who probably one of the heart, most heartbreaking moments for me is they, they really looked up to me, but I was their big brother. Yeah. Um, and they thought the world of me. They didn't know anything about the issues that I was struggling with. And um, they came to the police station because they obviously wanted to see me and they were obviously in shock and they were, you know, 
Um, and I, I actually remember formally refusing to see them because I really I was holding it together, and I knew that seeing them be the one you thing that apart. would probably break me at that point. Yeah, and um, I knew that where I was going, I I, I was like, I can't have I can't have that happen right now. I've got to somehow I've got to I've got to somehow hold myself together and to 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 go to whatever I've got to deal with next, which I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Um, and what did what did yeah, come I mean, next? That, so, like your formal so refused bail, did you go straight to, to jail? No, so I was taking Surrey Hills um, Remand Centre, which is basically the the major, um, I guess, jailhouse you could call it, in Surrey Hills Police Station. Yeah. Um, and that's. Um, yeah, that's one of those experiences where it starts to hit you and it's like, wow, like I'm I'm sitting in this big cell. There's probably about six or so different people in there for various things or whatever. You know, there's a guy taking a shit in the portaloo in the corner. Um, <laughs> Lovely. You don't know who is not edible unless you haven't yeah. eaten for a week. You know, you might look at it and you're underground. Yeah. And um, you're underground. I was, I was there for two days. Um and then wow. you're basically told, picked up on a on a truck, and and off you go to Silverwater Correctional Centre, which is the major metropolitan remand centre. Um, wow. And um, what was that like? From there, you're you processed, and I've got to say, being processed is probably one of those things that um, I'll I'll never forget. You know, you're um, you're basically strip strip naked, strip searched. Um, it's if I could say it in a short form, it's the first moment where you are you you finally can grasp that you are in control of nothing anymore. That you have no someone control. else is you gonna are, control you, every you, aspect of your life. Yeah, you are told where to go, you are told where to stand, you're told where to sit, you're told when to strip, you're told to lift your arms, you're you're told to wear this, go here. No questions asked. And everything, wow. every single thing has some form of consequence. You know, you get smart with a guard, you've got a consequence. You get smart with an inmate, you've got a consequence. You, it's, it's, it becomes a very, very scary place very quickly because you, you realise, yeah, you no longer have any control over your own life. Um, yeah. It's, it's um, being controlled for you. And that moment, you know, like where they're, taking pictures of my tattoos and, you know, I'm there butt naked standing in front of two guys who are, you know, treating me then like a criminal. Um, And I'm like deeply inside. I never really felt like a criminal. I know that may not make sense because I was in criminal behaviour, but I I always felt like, I I felt like a kid who had just been like, I've just, I've just, I just felt like a kid. I felt like a kid. That yeah, just I've just made a mistake. Was like, yeah. How does that yeah, one mistake lead to all like this? Point. Like, doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, and it's like at that point, it's like you know, I um, you're no longer a kid. You no longer made a mistake. You're an adult, and you're about to be treated like an adult. Like an adult. And and you, you better you better listen. And um, yeah. You do, you, and that's the thing. You know, you, you, you give your belongings over. You get dressed into greens. Um, you're told to sit there 
until you're called to go for a um, physical assessment. Uh, I guess it, I guess it is really, uh, and a mental assessment. Yeah. Uh, and then you put into um, you put into a pod. You're a bum in a bed. Yeah. And I remember walking into the first cell uh, where you know I, I walked in and there's like half a foam mattress that's kind of like been ripped up. There's mm. you know you're given bed sheets that are you know stained or patched together. Wow. And you've got to make your bed. You don't have a pillow. They don't have pillows in the first stage yeah, really there's pillows. no pillows so you're kind of rolling up your jumper to sleep on um wow it's it's dirty it's disgustingly dirty there's no real means to clean it very well um yeah and the worst part is is that you're generally in there with someone who you have no fucking idea who they are what they've done um are they dangerous and, are they not like- and really it's the really the not knowing. It's the not knowing of like, how long am I here for? Where do I go next? What do I do? Like, when do yeah. I get food? Do I, how do I speak to people? Who do I, like, it's just so many unknowns of just complete and utter like, and what I, what one thing I did know is I'm like straight away, I'm like, well, every single decision I make from this step forward has probably a very, uh, severe consequence. Yeah. Speak to someone the wrong way, you end up in a speak to a guy the wrong way, you end up in segregation. Yeah. You know, you, you could do Did the you have any troubles like that you in could... jail? Did you have any like in situations where um, you ended up in fights or or you were in, in segregation or anything like that? Or were you sort of able to keep it pretty as best you could? Well, I mean, fortunately enough, um backscaling a little bit, I had started um weight training when I, when I was 18, um, I'd always had a pretty strong stature. Um, and, um, I had had some experience with, um, boxing and whatnot, not to know I wasn't a fighter by any means, but I, yeah, um, you can I, hold I, your just, own. I had some confidence. Yeah, I could hold my own. I felt like, you know, that I had some demeanor in that sense. And, um, I think, in those first, like I was given some advice by someone quite close to me uh, that basically just once I was there was just that, you know, set a routine, don't get close to people, speak to everybody with manners and train. Whenever you yeah. can, train, give yourself structure because that's the only way you're going to stay sane. And if you train, yeah. you will create a sense of you know that you are um you you hold some form of discipline you hold some form of self-respect and that you can hold your own and if you do that then you're less likely to become someone vulnerable to others and yeah being that already did train had some training experience i just took that i took that completely to heart and was like that's what i'm gonna do you know i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out to the dip bar. I'm going to dip some chin-ups and push-ups and do whatever I can that I know how to do. And I'm just going to yeah. mind my business. And uh, I, I tended to hold that through the entire part. And it, um, I think, in a big way, kept me out of trouble. I also, in a kind of, I guess, superstitious kind of way, felt that um, I, uh, I guess I felt that I had part of my mum with me. I think... I feel. That's I think nice. I felt like 
I felt like my, if anyone was to understand what had happened, it would be my mum that she would see me and gone, this was not, you know, this was not my boy. This was not what he was meant for. This is not his heart. And um, that, you know, that she had to protect me. And um, I think I held on to that a lot through there because I felt like there was something that was kind of keeping me out of trouble. You know, like I just, I, I did what I thought I needed to do in that sense with the entire time. And I, and I managed to stay relatively trouble-free. I didn't have any major th- major things with anyone. Um, yeah. I feel like in that world, it's very two-way street was, was as well, where if you, if you look vulnerable, if you look scared, if you look like someone that can be picked on, um, yeah. then kind of like wolves, you, you will find yourself mm-hmm. a victim. But if you, can, yeah, if you can just, if you can just make people second guess that if they're going to approach you, it might be a mistake on their part, then they're yeah. going to leave you alone because it's too much of a risk for them to go, well, is this guy going to be trouble or is he not? Yeah. So yeah. I just always held the fact with like, I'm going to keep people guessing, you know, I'm going to keep people guessing. I'm going to, and I think the further I got into it, um, and I think the further you know, came around, you know, training consistently. Um, it actually became evident to me how much of a positive effect you could have on some of the people there around you just by training. You know, um, yeah. I, I remember in the early stages of, you know, doing a certain amount of chin-ups or dips or whatever and someone would say, like, like you know, you're like, you're, you're strong, man. Like, you know, do you mind if I jump in with you? And it's like, yeah, like, sure, man. Like, go for it. That's cool. Um, and even in the shittest place, you can see that there is, you know, that that's people, right? People will gravitate to that form of energy. Um, and if you're, yeah. if you're able to not have an ego about it and not take everything as a threat and be like, you know, yeah, sure, mate, no harm to me. You can, you can share no problem that yeah. there becomes a bit of a mutual respect. Um, and I found that the whole way through. I found that that definitely helped the entire way through. And I guess that kind of that kind of sparked the start of one of the reasons as to why I do what I do now. And that is because in such a horrible shit environment, you know, if you can display a certain, you know, certain elements of of character, of, 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 of behavior, um, of routine, of discipline, of consistency, that people that do want those things in life will see it and they will gravitate to it. And yeah. um, that to me was huge. I was like, man, if I can do this here, then well, I, can, I can do this anywhere. Yeah, I can do this yeah. out there. I could really do this out there. This, this is really cool. And at that point, Nick, um, did you know how long being in there was like that you know when you when you started doing these trainings and these people were starting to gravitate towards you you had found this new routine did you know at that point i'm spending four years here or like what point did you go from thinking you were spending potentially the rest of your life in jail to four years yeah no so i um i I didn't know at that point um i spent two uh just over two years on um remand which was unsentenced so um what Basically, the process. Yeah, so basically, the process is that quite quite a quite a complex case. Um, that there is lots of plea bargaining and legal dis, legal um, disputes between, you know, um, your your Everyone. lawyers and um, you know the, the the DPP and 
the um, you know, defenders of the state and whatever you want to call them. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, um, it took two years to get a plea bargain um, for me um, that I was happy to actually move forward with, which saw basically me plead guilty to one of the top charges that I, I yep. had, um, which was um, large commercial drug supply. And yep. um, the other charges were put on a, a, a form one, which is basically a, they're, 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 the other charges will most likely run concurrent with the top charge. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was about the two-year mark where I actually got sentenced um, yeah. So the first two years was very, uh, probably the two of the hardest years of my life because you, yeah, you, I, I, so. I had, I had, you know, you, you see people like my friends were growing up. They were going out. They were buying houses, meeting girls, like girlfriends. You know, getting getting engaged, um, moving on with their lives. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know, I don't what know what like. I'm doing. You know, so they're very. There's a mix of some days where you're like, you know, I've got hope and positive, like it'll be all right. Like some people get good sentences, some people get bad ones, but, you know, like let's be optimistic. And then there, just like in life, there are days where it's like, fuck no. Like, no, I'm I'm, I'm in shit neck deep and this is going to go really fucking wrong and I, I'm not mm-hmm. having a good day. And yeah. it's a very wavy, you know, situation for two years of basically – turmoil like you know i took up smoking like i started smoking times in jail just because i'm like i need yeah i was like, I, need, I need something to do i need something to try to i don't have Relax. drugs or gambling um i don't have any outlet i can't cry yeah. i can't scream i can't talk to anyone my phone conversations are recorded they're timed my showers are timed like my like what i can read what i can eat everything is controlled and Control, I was like, yeah. I need something where I can just like, no, it can stop me from having a cigarette. <laughs> and that's what it became. I was like, no, 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 no it can yeah. stop me from doing that. And I was like, well, I'm going to grab that. And I guess that's still part of like a um, a little bit of an addiction trait where I had a bit of an addictive personality. I was like, I've got to find an outlet. You know, I, ha- yeah. I had training, but it like it wasn't always enough. Um, so that happened. Yeah. Um, but I guess... I mean, I guess getting to sentencing, um, sentencing was, I guess, one of those pinnacle moments where I, I would say it's one of the scariest moments of my life. Um, Someone's about to I make really a decision have... about, about your life. Yeah, and you you just you just have such little control and i know i had um you know i had i had reasonable circumstances in my case you know they 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 took into account obviously that you know i'd lost my mum at a very young age it was my first offense i'd actually never been charged with anything ever before yeah. um so i did have good circumstances and a sense of uh, prospects of rehabilitation and being a young offender but um you still don't know and um I decided in my sentencing that I wanted to I wanted to get up and I, and I wanted to try to explain my situation and my thought process to why I did what I did. Um, I wanted to yeah. show my remorse because that's and that's one big thing I really wanted to talk about is that 
before I went to jail, I obviously I didn't care about the the effects of drugs. I didn't I didn't even think about it. I was in, in a very selfish place with all of it, and I don't think it's till I got to jail where you actually realise the domino effect that drugs have on the whole thing. You know, the whole yeah. the whole the whole community where it, you know, you're the drug seller. You've got your problems. The guy that the person taking the drug, they've got their problems. The, mm-hmm. the person that is dealing with the, the the robbery for that person to be able to buy drugs, the families that are hurt by like drug addiction, by the, the huge combination of effects that it has. And I'm like, I'm so embarrassed that I was a part of that. Um, yeah. I, I felt deeply like I was like, I can't believe that. Yeah, like oh, I used to think I'm like, I, if my mum was alive, I'm like, fuck, she would be so disgusted that that's that i was part of that but at the same time that's why i wanted to uh, uh, i was so at the same token though someone that's been on the opposite end of it who's been the person that took the drugs like just to put you a little bit at ease you also can't take responsibility for that because whether or not you were the person giving it to them or they were getting it from somewhere else that person was chasing a drug do you know what I mean? That responsibility is not on you. Yeah, you might have been yeah, the one yeah. that that sold it, but like they're going to find it somewhere, you know. And you were using it as a means to an end too. You were trying to keep yourself yeah. afloat and do all those things, you know. So, so just just yeah. so that you know, yeah, you can't hold that responsibility. Yeah, and, and it took me a long time to to work through that. Um, and I think what it came down to a lot too was just. Seeing the, you, you see all, you see a lot of people in jail, and you know, I, I was very fortunate. I, I, I still got visits. You know, I knew members of my family no longer trusted me, but I had support. And um, yeah. you know, they they talk about the time, but you know, that one in three people, you know, um, go back to prison, and yeah. you can become part of that statistic. And you see the people getting visits from family, and you see yeah. the heartbreak of the families that have to come in and visit their people. Yeah. And then you see the people that have spent years and years in jail that no longer get visits. And and generally the reason is because they've done it so many times now the people closest to them have given up on them. Yeah. And and I, I, that to me is like, it, it, it's just so fucking sad. It's, it is. It's really, very, it's really very, very sad that that is the reality for some people. I can't, like, I was in there and I, I had support. Like I had my sister and my brother, you know, I had people putting money into my account if I needed to buy something. You know, I, I had people that still supported me and I can't imagine reoffending and continuing down that life to a point where no longer anyone wants to show up. Yeah, well, that's that right, where they sort of feel like you've they've given up on you. They've given up on you and, you know, a big part of you before that even happened, you've given up on you. you know, yeah, you've given up exactly. on your life to, to be able to put, re- people, put people through that and to continue down that path. Um, because you haven't made the hard choice, you haven't made yeah. a choice to change. You've just just you've continued actually what is on the easy path by going yeah. back. Um, but I think you know when it came to sentencing and and getting, I, I think the moment for me where I I really decided like that I was gonna I was gonna fucking master the rest of the time that I had left, and when I got out, I was gonna do every single thing I could was. When I was sitting in that courtroom and, and, and I was 
I remember being on the I remember being on the stand, being asked questions by my lawyer about my life experience, and I remember bawling my eyes out, and I, you know, I was I was I was a mess explaining, and for the first time in in front of my father, in front of my siblings, in front of my peers, explaining the the pain that I was in before it all happened, and reliving that. And they finally um, got some perspective. Look, yeah, and I think to look at my, there was a moment in it where I distinctively remember um, and, you know, catching eyes with my younger sister at the time um, and seeing her, like I could I could see the look on her face looking at me and I could, I could just see her heartbreak. And yeah. that for me, that moment, was like I, I I I can't I can't believe that I've 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 done this. To watch that happen um, was just something that I've never been able to forget. Um, and it was also a driving force, you know. Like in the end, uh, you know, the, the sentencing happened, um, and it, it's kind of odd because I I've, I I'm just sitting there and this judge is rambling years of this and months of this and I have no idea what the fuck's going on <laughs> and I'm just kind of looking at my lawyer and then my lawyer looked back at me after writing down stuff on a piece of paper and he just looked up and gave me a two and um I was I I felt immediate relief because I was like okay yeah. like I've done two and the 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 judge has for in my eyes factored in compassion for yep. for my situation, and I felt like okay, you know what? I, I think from the, in that instance, I'm like I, I'm just so happy that someone understood me and that didn't look at me like this is just another criminal that's just doing the, the just the wrong fucking thing. And I was like, I'm, yep. I'm I'm really I was really happy I could tell someone the truth and and have them be like, no, you're a full of shit. Uh, that they were actually yeah. like, you know what? I can see that you're being completely honest, and I'm like, that's. That's all I wanted someone to see, and then to yep. see my the look on my sister's face when the lawyer turned around to her and said, "You know, two years." And and I mean, she was obviously upset, but to know that her big brother was going to be there for the next, yeah, yeah, and and that was just okay. And I think it went on from that point where I, you know, I, you know, obviously had two years to go, and uh, and I was sent to, you know, um. Young offenders prison um, did young offenders programs, but then that's when I was like, okay, I, I know what I've got left, and I know, and I think I know what I want to do, and I was like, that's when I'm going to start to study. I'm going I'm to learn what I can about the human body. I'm going to learn about anatomy. I'm going to learn about fitness. I'm going to look at what courses I can do, um, which isn't a lot, but Have I was purpose. like, I'll do what I can do. I'll make up what time I can. Yeah, yeah, because I was like, okay, I can see the finish line, and like, I'm like, fuck, I'm grateful. I'm only going to be like 25. Like, I still got life, you know. Um, yeah. And that was that was really what, you know, um, I, I think kicked the whole thing off for me. And that's yeah, when I I, I started to, to to do all that. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's um, that's I, I guess the. The majority of that chapter of jail, I think, you know, I, I, the best way I can explain it is I, I went in a very, very lost boy. Uh, yeah. where I, I went in a 21-year-old boy who I, I had no idea who the fuck I was. I had 
no confidence, no self-esteem. I was just um, broken. I think in a lot of ways, I think it saved me. I was broken, yeah. and I, I think in a lot of ways it saved me. I'm, I'm not, you know, I wish it didn't have to happen that way, but I, I, I'm not really sure, nor can I say with any confidence what would have happened to me if those cars didn't stop me that day. I, I really, yeah. I really cannot say what would have happened uh, at all to me in my life, and and um, that I rock bottom moment is what sort I of changed your life. Yeah, I, yeah, and I don't believe it would have been anything good, if I'm honest. Um, so it, it was, it was a very harsh reality check for me, but it was one that, you know, uh, you know, one that I guess was needed for me to be where I am today. Um, yeah, definitely. And, you are uh, definitely like a product of the things you go through, hey? Like when you get have to go through hard shit and like and, and work it out like almost on your own, like yeah, you've got people giving you advice and lots of stuff, but when you've really hit those like rock bottom moments and, yes, you've got the support to help you through it, but you've still got to mentally work it out, like like whether it be jail or addiction or whatever, like it changes you like it like you you see the world so much brighter you see your future in a different way you see like your goals differently they're bigger they're brighter they're they're more the bigger the better you know what i mean like if i can do that if i can do that shit i can fucking do anything you know what i mean like like do you think as well Nick, that i think yeah you go Go on, go on, no, go. <laughs> no, I was going to say, so do you think <laughs> no, that, I, I, like, that's... I think we've got a delay, hence we keep talking at, at each other. But do you think that um <laughs> that being in jail was harder or reintegrating back into society after spending four years in this super controlled environment, do you think that was harder or they were just totally different things? Um, I think they were definitely different kinds of hard. Um, I would, when I, I think back to it now, I think the year, the, the, the couple of years after I got out of jail, I think were the hardest years of my life. Um, mm-hmm. Jail is a different kind of hard, but getting out um, and the circumstances surrounding it, uh, was yeah probably the just 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 hard in a different way. Like I I I I got out with so much hope um, of mm-hmm. kind of everything just going back to normal. You know, like I got out with yeah. so much hope of like I'll have the same friends. I'll like you know you suddenly just you don't really even think about money. For one, I don't know why, but you're like, oh, I'll go do this and I'll yeah. do that and I'm going to, you know, <laughs> rule the world, you know. You're like, I've survived jail and it's like, so I I'm, I'm can do anything and it's like, you know, yeah, that's true, you know, yeah. you can, but finding, finding the ability to do that is is a very, very hard road and um, it's one of those things where people say, you know, like, oh, you know, you're, you're so lucky and it's like, mate, Luck has absolutely <laughs> sweet fuck all. Exactly. You know, fuck fucking luck. It's, it's, yeah, there's no, there's no such thing. And that's where I think it's like I've I've hit some very dark black holes in the periods of when I got out where I dabbled back into 
um, parts of addiction, um, back into mm-hmm. old circles of friends. Um, I think one of the hardest things was, you know, knowing that those closest to me no longer trusted me. Um, you know, I don't think yeah. for many years after I got out that my, that my sister trusted me, that, um, people weren't second guessing my behavior. Um, that my, that I didn't fit in. Like I had friends, you know, they, they were, they were, you know, they were getting married, they were buying houses, they got like quality jobs. And there I was trying to yep. buy a $2,000 car. And, um, you know, I, my, my uncle actually got me a job being a bricklayer, you know, and I was like, wow. I, I just feel so fucking behind. And this is not, this is not what I had in mind. This is not what I hoped for. And, uh, it, it was just really lonely. Like it was very lonely. Um, and I just, again, kind of before jail, like I did, I just didn't feel like I fitted in anywhere. I still lived in the area where I got arrested. So I felt like everybody around me would judge me. You know, I would run mm-hmm. into people who I thought used to be friends, maybe, you know, like, Oh, Hey, how are you? And it's I like, jail. <laughs> I just felt completely. And I, I, I was, I was very angry. You know, I just felt complete resentment. I was just like, fuck everyone, fuck the world. And I, you know, I, I just don't care. Like no one cares about my pain. No one cares about me and me, you know, trying to succeed anymore. Like the world is just, the world just felt very harsh. I felt like yeah. the world had been a very harsh plague, very unfair, very unforgiving. And, um, there was times where I wasn't sure that I wanted to be part of it anymore. You know, there really was times where I was like, I just don't, um, you know, I wouldn't say that I was suicidal. I would just say that I definitely felt like I was disassociated and completely isolated where I was just like, no one would care if I wasn't here tomorrow. Yeah. Um, do you think those feelings, Nick, and, have, like, uh, just taking you to that for a sec, do you think that that feeling there, what you're feeling when you got out of jail, having lived it, do you think that that feeling could be why people re- like just reoffend and end up institutionalised? Because like you said, jail's one kind of hard, but coming back into society and having like bills and then having like having to do all those things again, it's a different, it's a very different hard. Do you think that that might be where like those like people that maybe don't have the same mindset or strength determination yeah. that could be how they go back absolutely uh, absolutely I, I think i think the system in that sense and without getting too much into that i think it's heavily broken where it is it is incredibly difficult to not go back it yeah. really is they make it difficult um because it's it's very it's it is it's it's having those feelings and you're like you know what you know when I was and I could say it though when I was in jail I didn't have to worry about bills I didn't have to worry about food like I, I had a job I had purpose you know although I was yeah. surrounded by a lot of bad people I was also surrounded by people that understood me because they were there too yeah. um yeah and it, the thing is is that not everyone in in jail is a is a bad person they're they're, they're people yeah. that have made bad decisions. Um, and I think that's where, like, you feel understood by by some around you, and you're like, man, I go back out there, and I, I don't feel like anybody gets me, you know. Like, I don't, and, and all the people that did that did get me, I can't talk to, I can't hang around with. 
Um, and so you do, yeah, I can see exactly why people end up going back. And then it's not like it's easy yeah. to get a job. It's not easy to get into a position to make money. It's not easy to do anything. And, and not that it should be easy, but I don't believe it should be made that difficult. That's hard. And yeah, well, you've I done your time. Think that people, yeah. Yeah, and I think it should be definitely situations where it's it's made a, a, a lot more of a priority to keep people out of jail rather than just be okay with them going back and putting them into the well, they're a fuck up category. Like at the end of the day, you've got a minute, yeah. that's that's a life. That's one life. And yes, yeah. too many people end up in and out, in and out, and that's like that's 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 a life gone. It's it's life wasted, it and it's incredibly sad for the person it's, it's sad for any of the victims involved and it's sad for the families of of all of it and it's just a cycle yeah. um and i was very uh, you know i was very um i don't even know what the word is i i don't know how to describe the fact that i was like i'm not i'm i'm, I'm not doing that at all costs i'm not doing that um yeah like uh, there's just there's no way I'm I'm going back to that place, and I think one of the major things that scared me was like if I was to go back, I couldn't. I don't think I could have handled the the heartbreak that my the, my sister and my father and that would have felt. I think that yeah. would have killed me to to yeah. know that I had now that was- joined that statistic. To drive and, um, you know, like I think, yeah, it really was. Um, and was I, there like a pivotal a- moment, Nick? Something that you found that like sort of like took you from that and sort of you like I turned that corner? Yeah, I mean, there was um, there was a. There was a moment actually when I'd, I'd, I'd moved in with my sister um, for a while. She had she had tried to get, you know give me a break and you know live with her rent free for a while and just kind of try to get me on my feet. And um, at the time, I was working at, at City Gym um, just as yeah. a, as you know a part time trainer behind the desk. And you know, like her giving me that opportunity where it was just like a leg up of just like you know I, I just can't keep up with all the bills and, and and all that. And to have her be like, listen, live here, get on your feet. I was just like, you know, like I could. I'll never forget that what she's done for me, and that's and and my sister is someone in my life now where I would I would do anything for her. Um, yeah. Is this the same sister that you remember that moment in court? Yeah, yeah, my younger yeah. sister. Uh, she's yeah. a diamond, diamond in the rough, but um. There was a moment then finally when I did kind of get on my feet a bit and, and I moved into a kind of shitty studio apartment in uh, Petersham, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I got I got pretty I got pretty heavily depressed. I, I felt there like it was a lot like a lot like jail for me. It was a, I had no friends, I had no visitors. I simply worked, came back to my studio, which looked like a large version of a jail cell. Went to sleep, went to work, and you know my, my phone didn't ring. I didn't, I didn't really have anything. I had a mattress on the floor. You know, it was, wow. it was, it, it really didn't feel like it had a lot of essence to it. And 
you know, I um, there was a, a, a pinnacle moment I, I had was I, th- I think well, I can't remember exactly where it was, but um, I um, I had started to dabble into bits and pieces of of therapy of of of, of reading um and kind of trying to work out why I was so angry and I just just always felt angry and upset and I remember having a conversation with myself one day where I just I don't know what it was but I ended up saying to myself in this moment where I was like if I was to if I was to die today right now would I be remotely happy with my existence and my contribution to this world. Yeah. And um, the answer I got back was uh, just an astounding, very strong no. And I remember that just sunk so deep for me where I was just like, I would be, I would be so upset if my life ended today and this is what it was. I'm like I would just be I would just be so like fuck that is such a sad existence, and it's not yeah, to say yeah. that my whole life was shit or everything everything, but for where I was, I was like, if that happened right now, I'm like I would be just like looking down at me and being like, what a what a what a waste, you know? Um, so, yeah, you, you didn't want that to be your whole story. You know, it's cool to be like that was yeah, part of your story, but not the whole story. Yeah. yeah, 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 and yeah, it was right then where I was like, "All right, well, like, there's two, there's really there's there's, and this goes for literally. I, I think these the, a lot these days is in any situation. There's only there's two choices. There is to yeah. in that moment, you can you can like you can find as they say the other heart, and the other heart was fucking difficult. It required studying, working seven days a week, broke, no social life, no fucking any of that. It was required, like, how am I going to get on my feet? And there's that hard. And then there's what I was already yep. doing, which was already fucking hard. It was it was shit. Yeah, exactly. My quality of life. <laughs> and that goes for like a lot of situations, even in my work today where I'm talking to people. It's like... You got the you've got the two choices, you know, and shit or shit. You can do it whichever way. <laughs> you can do it the hard way, or you can do it the hard way. You're already doing it. At least the hard way of doing exactly. it might offer you some other form of greatness. Might offer some other page in your story that doesn't have to look like the rest. You know, I fucking love that man. You are, yeah. Like if you keep where you are, then every page after is going to look exactly the fucking same until you get to the end of what's been your miserable life and go, well, that was a really, really shit book and it's everybody else's fault. See ya. Yeah. And for yeah, me, I'm exactly. like, I was fucked. Like whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And it's funny because when I started to go down that path and kind of make those changes where I was like, okay, just want to do, you start to, you start to, meet the people around you that are going to put their hand out to help. They, that they're going to yeah. support you, that they see. You start that drawing in that energy. Yeah. And you get that, you, you, you get that energy and you get that opportunity through it. And yeah, 
that's where it all, you know, um, I guess turned around where I, you know, I was, I was training out of, um, the city gym and I, I was, I was, I was working at city gym. I was training at city gym. I was working for a food prep company, prepping meals on weekends. And I was driving, driving to Parramatta every single day between nine and five to do my PT certificate. I drive back, work the night shift at the gym, get up early in the morning, go back, had to Parramatta. And I, I did that for like a year straight. And it, wow. was, it was fucking miserable. <laughs> it was miserable. But, then, but it was so worth it. On the other side of it, it's so worth it. And I think on the other side of that is essentially when I, I started to stumble into, um, it kind of happened simultaneously where I had started some form of, of, of therapy. Like I, I really knew I needed to get some shit off my chest. Um, yeah. And... Um, where I started to uh, start powerlifting. I got more into competitive powerlifting. And yep. I think those two things combined was when it really started to to take off for me because I, I stumbled across base gym in North Sydney through an opportunity from a friend that saw how hard I was trying and how much heart and passion I put into my training and was yep. like, you should go and try this. And I was like, okay. Okay. And, <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. And I remember like I walked in the base gym, um, first session there and first time wearing a belt and, you know, I squatted 300 kilos for two reps and wow. never done that. And I think, the people there that obviously were powered, it's just like, who the fuck is this guy? And then I was also like, <laughs> yeah, was like, like, who the fuck am I? And <laughs> um, and I think those those things combined really, really gave me a, a a launch platform where what was the strongest about it is that I'd started to find identity. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that. I, I like a community. Yeah, I started and I started to find characteristics of myself that I could then build integrity. You know, I, I started to go like, yeah. you know, I'm strong. I'm, I'm strong willed. I have discipline. I'm motivated. I am ambitious. I'm true to my, like I started to find things and then understand myself working with a therapist too of like, what are the, what were the things that were missing and why I couldn't see that way? Um, yeah. And you know, like without going on too much of a tangent there, I, I was told to get, um, by a therapist, you know, I, I got, I got my dog, I got Rocky. Yeah. Um, because I was told, I was told to get a therapy dog. Cause I think one of the major issues I had is I had no idea how to love who I was. Cause I had no fucking yeah. idea how to love anything. I hate, I was angry with everything. And then yeah, okay. you know, I got this little staffy, you know, yeah. I looked at this little staffy and was like, Oh my God, I fucking love this thing. And then how I treated it. <laughs> I could build, yep. you know, how I treated him as a dog. I was like, oh, my God, like, I do know how to, I do know how to show love. Yeah, um, and then he shows it back. I, I, They're I, very good stuffies at showing yeah, love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I think through that is actually a, like a very pinnacle part of that moving forward for me, which developed into business and all the rest of it was like reestablishing a connection with myself in like more of an empathetic and, and 
you know, compassionate way and knowing that I can give that back. Um, And then, you know, going to a, going to a gym and and transforming it in a way where I was like, you know, I, I did jail and I've had high childhood, but I love the fact that what that gave me is I can go to this gym and I'll put the fucking weight of the world on my shoulders and I'll pick it up. Really? And there's not a thing yeah. that is going to stop me from doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what really gave me that thing, that that that's empowerment in myself that that's what I take forward now into my business. Like I, I, I from that point, didn't really care too much about money. I cared about giving people that feeling, you know, whether it's yeah. them, you know, whether it's them doing a 20 kilo bench press or, you know, 10 push ups, giving them that feeling that they are fucking capable and mm-hmm. they've just got to fucking have a little bit of belief and have a little bit of support that, yeah, that's it. The second you ignite that flame, it's like you can, yeah. you can build upon it. But I think what happens a lot of the time in, 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 in training is that people, they don't even find that they get too caught up in the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the comparisons or the, 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 the you know, yeah. the little like novelties of, of the whole fitness thing and, and it's, and then health and all of that. And I think that's why a lot of people don't enjoy it. I, I think because they they're, they're yeah. missing the core element of what it is about is, is finding doing hard stuff. Yeah. Like finding that, that, that in the thing inside of you that makes you feel like, I can do more. I can show up. I can do this. You know, yeah. what's the biggest thing? Like I ask the same question with clients is like a lot of the time when you're asking a client, it's like you, you show them a result and you think like, well, why can't that be you? Exactly. And it's like the, yeah, like usually the reason is because they don't know how to find that little thing inside them that shows them they can do it. They've skipped that. Yeah. They've got the, they've got the photo of, you know, like, some model on the wall or some dude and being like, that's what I want. Get me there. It's like, yeah, but you don't even know what started, what starts that. Yeah. And they're not you. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Exactly right. The expectation is what. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think then you're starting way too far forward um, when you haven't actually found what's going to keep you pushing towards that. And yeah, exactly. That's that whole experience, my whole life experience, I, I think is what has, what I love most is 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 finding that for people through strength training. Yep. Being out. And is that your main core is, thing now? Like just strength training, or do you specialize yeah, like, in powerlifting? Or um, no, so I, I wouldn't say I specialize in powerlifting. I, I moved on from powerlifting. I now, you know, a majority of the time practice jujitsu when I'm when I'm not hurt. <laughs> Um, nice. I moved on from power. <laughs> hey, that's my spiffy. Sorry. Oh, great! But we Wait. want. Wait, enough, <laughs> enough. Sorry, go. On. That's I get that bit out. Go. On. Stop. So go. On. Enough. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great bit. So, oi, go. On. Enough. Oi, yeah. stop. Right. Sorry, she was like dead asleep, and I think a truck might have just turned up and scared the <laughs> shit out of me. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Oi! <laughs> Stop. 
Hey, God. everyone's just got to remember that dogs have stories too. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> there was a storm last night and we had to give her sedatives, so she was just dead asleep and something just scared the shit out of her. Yeah. So now she's fucking yeah, right. out. <laughs> hey, good girl, stop. Um, yeah, good girl. Where were we? So, Nick, so what is it? What it, like? What is it you do now? So, like, you're doing your strength training and like, like with clients. Yeah, so I would say um, the majority of what I do is um, particularly focused. Um, most of the market is is uh, female based, but um, it's definitely it's 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 strength training. Um, it's it's definitely about getting people stronger, but there's much more to getting physically stronger that I think a lot of people miss, and that's the ability to know how to how to feel stronger. And I I, I think it's my my method that that comes way first. You know, I, I don't think yeah. in my powerlifting career that I could have physically lifted any of the amount of weight that I did unless I felt strong first. Um, you, yeah, you have to, and that's that's what I love to teach. I love to teach that through. Um, you know, refining technique, giving people the ability, the education, the understanding of what they're doing with context so that they can then go, okay, I get it and I want that. And then I'm going to be like, well, this is exactly how you get it. And this is how I got it. And yeah, if I can fucking show people that, um, then they, they, they tend to achieve what they want, you know? Um, but from a, yeah. from a place of like, from an actual core essence, like I, I don't care about the the, yeah. the fluffy influence and bullshit with it. I care about, you know, I, I want no. people to f- walk around feeling like they can they can do anything that they want to do. And I think strength training yeah. and any form of training, depending on how you approach it, can give people that. Um, and, and I think down the track, one of the major things that I want to turn that into is is giving that to to people, uh, particularly, you know. Uh, those that are that are exiting, exiting jail or exiting addiction um, or anything like that, how to find that again, you know, how to find that again, yeah. and, and I love and, that and change, change that page, you know, turn over that page that says all that shit on it and that same fucking story, and go, no, if you dig deep enough, it's going to be really, really fucking hard, but yeah, there is a different thing to write down. Um, and yeah. you know, if you, if you show up in that arena, you're going to get your absolute fucking ass kicked several times, yep. but if you just keep <laughs> going up, keep getting your ass yeah. kicked. Eventually um, it compounds. Cause like you said, you can do hard or hard. It's just which one you choose, exactly. you know, like really yeah. at the end and, of the day. I think, I, I think the major thing that would keep me and one of the major things that did end up keeping me out of jail is, is, is that right there it's just like you know jail is hard you could do that hard and you know exactly where it's going to get you but yeah the other option of hard you don't know you know it's yeah, going to be you know right. it's going to be difficult you're going to have to do things you're going to have to do i've done therapy that has taken me to places that i you know peeling back onion layers that you know i've i've had to work through large amounts of, of, of grief and, you know, um, emotional trauma. And even that, I think showing up for that kind of stuff, it shows you parts of yourself where you can evolve, but it's really fucking hard to revisit. 
you know it's really yeah, hard it to it's 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 so hard and people think that by not doing it they're like oh you know i'm i'm too old for this or i'm you know i i i can't do that or i don't believe in that it's like that's you're still choosing to do it a way that is hard you know you're yeah, still exactly. choosing to do it a way that that is difficult for you because you're not happy and you're not open to opportunity um you're just mm. doing things the same way so, yeah, it becomes a comfort over and over so. and over again it does that comfort <laughs> yeah. I mean, makes it feel easy yeah yeah um and you get used to your own story you know you get used to your own bullshit and i think that's where um you know I, i'm gonna be very brutally honest with it where it's like at the end of the day you know you know we're all you know you're gonna die and it's you know Mm. Do you want what's written on your gravestone to be something like that, where it's like, you know, this is my story, feel sorry for me? Or, you know, or do you want yeah, to evolve in life and have people that visit that place being like, you know, he meant something to me, she meant something to me, she was great at this, he was great at this, he was devoted. Mm. Like, what are they going to say? You know, and, yeah. and, and yeah, all, all of that, I think that's my worst fear. You know, that's, that's, yeah, that's, die that's, with that's like regret I, or die without a good story. Has something good to have brought to the world, even if it's just one person. Like, yeah, like yeah. Yeah, to, to die, yeah, to leave this earth one day and just be like, fuck, that was a waste of time. That'd be so shit. Yeah, like I, I, I would like, I don't love that even into a basic form where like if I was to unfortunately pass away next week and I've got like mm. 40 clients that go, mm. oh, my God, like, he was so amazing. He fixed my deadlift, gave me confidence in lifting. I squat more than ever. You know, I'm injury free. Who the fuck am I going to get to coach me now? I'd be happy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've done that. Sorry, Ozzie. guys. Like, there's number one coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's, that's what it's all about. That's what I do now. That's what I love about it. Um, yeah. You know, I don't like getting up at 4 a.m. every day, but I, I do like <laughs> live and, and seeing them experience yeah. that. You know, that's, that's yeah. cool. So, Nick, just to round this up for everyone, is there for anyone that's currently going through a situation like yours or is like the family member or the support person of someone in maybe a situation like yours, do you have any like advice or any like final words that might give them a little bit of hope or – a little bit of, um, I don't know, understanding of, of a situation? Uh, yeah, look, uh, I think it's, I think uh, uh, many of those moments, I think for a lot of people, it, it sounds very cliche. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of the, the, the quote by Theodore Roosevelt, which is the men in the arena quote. Yeah. Um, I can read it to you, actually, if you, if you don't know it. But I'll yeah. read it to everyone. I've got it yeah, yeah, read in the room. So it's... So it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or whether doers of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who is, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But great devotion, oh, sorry, to <laughs> the... But who does actually strive to the deed to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotion, who spends himself in a life worthy of a cause? 
would the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who would the worst if he fails fails while daring greatly i love that and i that's so good have that because i i think that's it doesn't matter what your arena you are in life it doesn't matter what situation you are in um or who you want to compare it to if you want to make a change if you can actually be honest enough with yourself to know that you need to make one i think that's the most courageous part um yeah i think courage is 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 the most important part of it is to find the courage to want to make a change and then showing up day after day trying to and not expecting anyone to give you you know um give you anything for it you're not doing it for anyone in the in the arena you're doing it because you want to show up in that arena every single day and do your best uh that like you just have to keep showing up yeah i love that i love that so much you you just have to keep showing up i think i've had so many shit days um you know i've had there's, there's been so many dark times but one thing that i hold very dear to my character is that it doesn't i know that it doesn't matter what happens i will show up to the best of my ability um and that's not compared to anybody else's ability or what they're doing it's just compared to yourself like know that you are showing up and doing your fucking best with whatever it is that you are doing and you don't need anyone to pat you on the back at the end of the day you don't need anyone to do that if if you can stand yeah. if you can stand in that arena and get your ass kicked mm-hmm. and stand back up that standing back up is that's the magic it is you it know, is you can get knocked down 10 times and get up 11 you know well, i know that's a cliche thing that a lot of people would say but there really is nothing truer the second you sit down and sit in that misery and you tell yourself that the story of this is life and this is how it's going to be for me. You've again. You've accepted it, haven't you? You've accepted it and you've still chosen a hard spot to sit in. Yeah. And And I don't think, I don't think that's cliche at all because even though to you and I of people have been down the bottom of hat to and go choose hard or hard and have chosen this hard to be where we are now, a lot of people, it's definitely not cliche because a lot of people sit in that shitty heart. They're like, it's like, it's, it's never getting better and I'm just going to stay here because it's comfortable. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people don't get knocked down 10 times to get back up 11. Eventually they, they give up because they lose hope, you know? So I, I think yeah. like it's awesome. <laughs> And I, and I think the, the 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 great way I'd like to like you know add to that is that whether you like it or not, you're in the you're in the arena anyway. Yeah. So you can sit down. You can not do anything about it. You can sit down and be in that misery and be in that shit. Tell yourself nothing's going to change, uh, and, and and all the rest of it. You, you're 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 still going to have to sit there. So you might as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you might as well get up. Because yeah. you don't know what um, you know exactly what's going to happen if you just keep sitting down. You don't know what's going to happen yep. if you if you keep standing up. And 
I think the, yeah. the, the best, the, you know, what I really want to run home with people is that I know a lot of time people feel like when they are at rock bottom, they, you know, you need, you need someone to support you. They need something else to get yeah. them there. It, it's, you, yeah. you, you actually don't. No, you don't. It, it, it comes to a very simple choice and that is to do something different. That's it. Yeah. And it's going it to be such a exactly. small thing. Um, it could be such a, such a small element of of your day to day of 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 your story that you could change. You know, it's like even for for clients where it's like, you know, you you know you you want to change your life today. Your your alarm normally goes off at five o'clock. You always tell yourself that you don't have time. This that whatever. It's like get up at fucking four thirty and you've got half an hour yeah. to change something. And that's it. That's, yeah, exactly. that's in its complete like it doesn't need to be this massive you know, comprehensive, no. huge difference that you make. It's little mm. little things like that that then you go, mm. okay, I'm making a step. And then you can compound on that. You can continue to build the momentum on that. And then the big things yep. start to change automatically. And, yeah. and it's just, just like it's being 1% better. Yeah, 1% better, you know, and that's, that's the thing is I think too many people these days, all the technology, all the Instagram, all TikTok, everything, you know, people are telling you how do you have you need to have your fifteen minute morning routine on how to fucking get ready, or whatever the fuck else. And it's like, it get, journal, meditate, yeah, drink lemon water, have a cup of coffee. <laughs> oh my God. It's like people compare to that and be like, oh, I'm never going to be happy because I don't have time to do all those things. The fact of the matter is, you don't fucking need to. You know, try changing one thing. Try, try just making a little difference into how you do things, and then continue to build. You know, um, yeah, exactly. And, and that's what I would advise. You know, don't overcomplicate it. Just no, nah, definitely make, not. Make a difference. You know, yeah, and, that, and that's now, that's all there is to it. Keep doing more. Shit will change. Yeah. So, Nick, before we offend any of the Instagram or TikTok influencers with our um, opinions on their morning routine, I reckon we wrap it up there. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've already done my post on my get ready with me morning routine. You can check that out on my Instagram, and um, you most likely uh, be offended. Seen, but I have seen it. Actually, Nick, can you? Would you like to tell everyone that is listening where they can find you on um, social media if they're looking for a strength coach, if they're looking to um, find out how you get ready in the morning and your morning routine? Where can people find you? Have a chat to you if they want to reach out. Oh. <laughs> uh, if they want to learn how to get ready with me, I'll actually have to find my OnlyFans account. But um, <laughs> no, um, they can find me. At, <laughs> they can find me at Oki Strength underscore Coaching on Instagram. So it's O C K Y Strength underscore Coaching, um, or via yeah. the website, which is www.okistrengthcoaching.com.au. And yeah, that's how you find me, or down at Pato Performance if you're in Sydney. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's where you're so, working at yeah. now. Pato Performance. Yeah, that's that's where people come for their grueling face-to-face sessions of brutal honesty and a touch of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love it. <laughs> All right, Nick. Well, thank you yeah. so much for talking to me today. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, definitely the longest interview I've ever done. Nearly two hours we've been talking. Um, but look, thank you so much yeah, for coming on. It has been an yeah. absolute pleasure. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And, yeah, I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. So thanks so much for having me. That's all right. Thanks so much, Nick.